pojíkom na širvan. Šeste kolo po Borjan, hojdana, hojdana, na. Borjanu je neprvíz, polevne cevne nevíz. Borjanu by neprvíz, polevne cevnoho víz. Hoj, hoj, hoj. Ani koles, ani špec, povna furo molodec. Hojdana, hojdana, na. Molodec si silová, potrebný darová. That was Slu High from Winnipeg and Oipoyiho Nashivan. There went our Johnny. Vitayu Vasiv Sikh Dorihi Radio Suhachi, Naradio Peridachu Nash Holos, Radio Krinskoho Kurinya, Yakapodeetsia Umisti Vancouveri, Shosubote, Ashosti Hudeni Vachara, Naradio Stansi AM Trinatia Dvatsiat CHMB, Umisti Nanaimo, Kojni Serede, Zurinatitoi, Do Trinatitoi Hodene Nechveli CHLY, Stoden Isim FM, I Pov Siomusviti, Pomareji PCJ Radio Mishnarodnumu. Zvami Pavina Makwari, Diaku Ishurishala Perebutezimnoyu, Nastupnu Hodenu. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, coming to you Saturdays at 6 p.m. on AM 1320 CHMB, Vancouver, Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo, and around the world on AM, FM, shortwave and satellite radio via PCJ Radio International. I'm your host, Paulette Demchuk-McQuarrie, Pukarinska Pavlina, and I'm delighted to have you with me. We've got a great program lined up for you from the Nasholos Audio Vault Ukrainian Food Flare and a very seasonal recipe, as well Ukrainian Jewish heritage and an interview with an amazing American author who specializes in the restoration of Jewish heritage sites in Eastern Europe. 
We've also got our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next, a Ukrainian group by the name of Zvone, and a song that was uh, quite popular, oh, going back a couple decades now, is called Smereka, which translates as spruce tree, but it's really a song about a girl. foresight and generosity of its donors, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit shochenkofoundation.com.
Украина Сану я он и брала Маруся раз And from Edmonton, Alberta, that was the Euphoria Band with a traditional Ukrainian folk song, and Harness the Horses Boys. Up next, a song called Dimi by Yasinev from somewhere in Canada long, long ago. Here they are now, Yasinev with Dimi. Next, from the Nasholos Audio Archives, Ukrainian Food Flare. And now, Ukrainian Food Flare with Judy Renenko. Batimo, and welcome to Ukrainian Food Flare. Have you noticed the clouds are high and wispy and a little chill in the evening air? Fall is certainly on its way. The fall fruits and leaves are spectacular. Bright orange, red, green, and even a golden yellow. Today, we're talking Ukrainian folklore and pumpkins. Well, now I will explain to you why historically Ukrainian men do not like a pumpkin. This is a true story which I found on a fantastic website called Travel West Ukraine and noticed similar stories on other sites. It is a very old tradition, still from medieval times. 
When a Ukrainian boy wanted to marry a girl, he did not buy her a ring and he did not ask her, will you marry me on bended knee in a romantic place somewhere? No, in Ukraine, a different method was used to ask her hand in marriage. The suitor had to find two special people, a relative or friend, and he went with these special people to the house of the girl he wanted to marry. Ukrainians call these two special people Stadiste or Svate. Stadiste must be a wise person and preferably with a good sense of humor because they will make a special speech to the parents of the future bride. Usually, Stadiste were men, but the odd time they would be a woman. So, Stadiste and the potential fiancé would come to the girl's parents and give a special speech. At the end of the speech, they would ask the parents to allow their daughter to be the wife of this young man. But the parents usually answered, We need to ask the opinion of our daughter to find out what she thinks. The next event is very important. The girl stays silent, and if she wants to marry this man, she ties a ceremonial embroidered towel over the shoulder of each of the stadistea. She also ties a nice shawl on the hand of the young man. All these actions mean just one word, yes. But if the answer is no, then the stadistea gets nothing and the young man receives a pumpkin from the girl. This is her way of saying she does not want to marry this man. Parents who had a very pretty daughter needed to have many pumpkins because a pretty girl has many offerings of marriage. So people were usually joking to the parents, "Ah, uh-uh, you need to grow a big garden of pumpkins. In those days, it was a shame for a Ukrainian man to get a pumpkin instead of a shawl. In the people's opinion, he was not a very good man if a girl did not want to marry him, especially if he got more pumpkins from other girls. Usually, if a modern Ukrainian boy proposes marriage to a girl, he buys her a ring as is done in the rest of the world. But the saying, to get a pumpkin, is still very popular in Ukraine. This phrase usually means that somebody has said no to you in a very important business matter. Also, if Ukrainians say about some man, he got a pumpkin from his girlfriend, it means the same as it did several centuries ago. It means she did not want to marry him. Eating pumpkin is a different story altogether. Ukrainian men like eating pumpkin just as much as women do all over the world. Tonight I've got a unique recipe from the kitchens of Ukraine, Ludmila's Pumpkin Platsok. For this recipe, you will need pierogi dough of your choice, a pumpkin filling, oil, and a frying pan. Oh yeah, don't forget the rolling pin. If you don't have your own pierogi dough recipe, here's mine. Three cups of flour, one cup of hot water, and one teaspoon of salt. Mix together until smooth, form a ball, cover in plastic, and let rest for 20 minutes. While it's resting, make the pumpkin filling. In a bowl, combine contents of one 14-ounce can of pure pumpkin. Make sure it's not the pumpkin pie filling. Add one quarter cup of sugar, two teaspoons of cinnamon, one half teaspoon each of nutmeg, allspice, and ginger is optional. Divide the dough into three. Roll out one-third, very thin, about the thickness of a dime. Spread one-third of the mixture evenly over the dough. Fold in corners to meet in the middle. Seal the edges by tapping the dough lightly. Add a bit of oil to a frying pan or flat grill, about two tablespoons. Heat oil until slightly smoking. Carefully place the dough into the pan. Fry until golden brown, then flip. You will need to use two egg turners or a large flipper. Fry until golden brown, then slide onto a plate and dust with sugar or icing sugar. This will make three platskis. You can use any kind of fruit or pie filling. Use your imagination and create a new family favorite. This is great if you're making pareja and have leftover dough. Dopobachinya and smachnoho! This has been Ukrainian Food Flare from the Nasholos Audio Archives. Da 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 da
Toronto, Ontario. That was Dunai from their most recent recording made a couple of years ago, ah, 2015, I think now. And that was traditional Ukrainian folk song, Zadunayim, Beyond the Danube. Up next, we're going to be going back in time again. And this is Luba coming up next from Montreal. And traditional Ukrainian folk song, Zhetomate, a song all about rye, sort of. Stay. 
This is CHMB, AM 1320, Vancouver. And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now. Brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. This is Pavlina, producer and host of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Ruth Ellen Gruber is an American journalist, author, editor, and researcher. She has published and lectured widely and has won several awards for her work on Jewish heritage and contemporary Jewish issues in Europe. Her book, Jewish Heritage Travel, A Guide to Eastern Europe, was first published over 25 years ago and is still considered the most complete Jewish travel guide to the region. We first learned about Ruth and a bit about her work last year in an episode here on Ukrainian Jewish heritage dealing with dark tourism, which involves travel to places historically associated with death and tragedy. Ruth's work, however, sheds light on Jewish heritage sites with the goal of keeping alive the memory of Jewish life in Europe through the restoration of physical reminders. Despite an insanely busy schedule, Ruth Ellen Gruber graciously agreed to share some of her thoughts about her work, the changes she has observed, and what it all means for the future. I caught up with her by phone at her home in Italy. So, you're American, born, raised, and educated. What prompted you to move to Europe after graduating university? Well... It was personal, actually. I mean, I, in my senior year of college, I studied in Europe and then went back. And after graduation, I came back to visit my parents who were living in Europe at the time. And then, you know, I ended up getting a job after hanging out at home for a bit and then doing some research work for my father. I ended up getting a, a job as a, at, with the Associated Press as an intern in Rome. And then I was hired... Um, sort of on a full-time basis by United Press International, where I subsequently was based in six different countries in a career with them as a foreign correspondent. Wow, so you took journalism in university, that was your degree? No, no, I have an ar- a degree in art. You know, I always wanted to be a writer. Ah, okay, so you were foreign correspondent for several years. For over a decade, yeah. Was that dangerous work? Dangerous, I wouldn't say... When I was a correspondent for United Press International, I worked for them. I was based for them in six different countries. Half of the time, I was in communist countries. And when I was based in Poland in the very early 1980s, I ended up being arrested and um, put into jail for 24 hours. And, you know, there was a big case where they appeared to accuse me of espionage. It was a big nothing burger, really. It was, they were making a case out of me to try to intimidate other reporters, and then I was expelled from the country. But I was never in any danger then. And where I was and what I was doing, I don't think I was ever really in any danger as a foreign correspondent. I was in Europe the whole time. That sounds scary, although it's, it's good that you weren't um, in serious danger. It was just a kind of a show thing. Yeah, it was, but it was a big deal at the time because sure. it was it was uh, January 1983 and it was a time of great tension. You know, Poland, they'd had the Solidarity Revolution, Solidarność, and then martial law had been imposed. And this was an attempt by the authorities to make an example of me. They sort of pretended to accuse me of espionage, <laughs> oh boy. even though it was completely made up. It mm-hmm. was very clear that it was very made up. But it was a way that they were trying to intimidate other Western journalists, but also intimidate Polish people 
mm. who were our sources or our friends. Right. It didn't work, but I was expelled from the country, and I couldn't go back to Poland until the uh, the ouster of the communists some years later. So what led you to uh, specialize in Jewish heritage travel, writing a book? Well, half of my career with UPI was in communist countries. Yugoslavia, I was based in, in what was then Yugoslavia, and then in Poland, and from both Belgrade and Warsaw, I covered the, the Eastern Bloc, as we called it. And this is a place where, especially in Poland, which was, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Jewish heartland. Right. But when I covered this area as a journalist, I covered Jewish stories, but, you know, only as part of the whole story that I was covering, political, social, economic, whatever. And um, on my second visit to Romania, I traveled all around Romania with the, the then chief rabbi, who was quite a character, we visited at Hanukkah, we visited lots of Jewish congregations and synagogues, Jewish communities all around the country. I think I traveled with a rabbi for six days, and I think we visited 19 Jewish communities. Mm-hmm. And so I saw these buildings, and I saw some of the cemeteries. And in one of these towns, it was the town that my grandparents had come from. So while we were there... I was able to go to the Jewish cemetery, and they helped me find the grave of my great-grandmother, who was buried there. And, you know, I wrote about this, but I wrote about it as part of all the the political and other stories that I was writing about these countries. Mm -hmm. However, I had had this experience. And then, about a decade later, at the end of the, the 80s, when the wall was coming down, my brother had just become the founding director of what was called the Jewish Heritage Council of the World Monuments Fund. And he was trying to establish inventories of what remained of Jewish heritage sites in the former communist bloc. Hmm. And since I was covering the revolutions, let's say, in 1989, 1990, Mm -hmm. he said to me, you know, when you're out there covering these political events, if you come across a synagogue, a Jewish cemetery, whatever, please take a picture, make a description, and send it back, because there were no inventories of what was there. There was an assumption that nothing remained. There was an assumption, let's say, in the United States, that nothing remained, mm-hmm. and or very little remained. Mm-hmm. And nobody had general files. I soon found out that there were individuals in each of these countries who, on their own, had done research on the ground and had gone out with their backpacks and their bicycles mm-hmm. and old maps to find these places. But many of them were not in touch with the others, and there was sort of no comprehensive idea of what was there across the region. So I started doing this, you know, and I got extremely interested in it. And my brother came to Europe twice. It's, I think it was September 1989. We traveled in Hungary together, and then in May... 1990, on one of my first trips back to Poland after I was expelled, we traveled in Poland looking for these sites. And so I got very interested in it. And then I I wrote an article for the New York Times in 1990 about visiting the vestiges of Jewish civilization in, in Poland, visiting what was there. And this, indeed, was an exercise in dark tourism, because everything, basically everything I saw was a ruin. Mm-hmm. Or a synagogue transformed into something else, or cemeteries that were totally overgrown. This was like visiting sites of tragedy. Right. But then I got very interested in it, and I made a book proposal and got a contract to write a guidebook to Jewish to Central and Eastern Europe, and that became Jewish Heritage Travel, which was my first book. Right. That was published about you said over twenty five years ago now, but it's it's, it's and it's been republished several t- in updated editions. Yes, yes. It was it was first published in 1992, and then there were three more editions. The last one was published by National Geographic in 2007. And you've published another book since? Yeah, I've published several other books. The next book I published was called Upon the Doorposts of Thy House, Jewish Life in East Central Europe Yesterday and Today. And in this book, I, it's, I think, five long essays about how the physical remains and the physical traces of pre-war Jewish 
history and Jewish civilization resonate today, how they how they are today, what they look like today. I mean, today meaning you know the early yeah. 1990s, sure. and and how 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 memory how they trigger memory, and I call it upon the doorposts of the house, because in in Jewish tradition, you put a mezuzah, that is a, a scroll right. with a, a verses from the Bible, from the Torah, on the doorposts of your house, mm-hmm. and they mark Jewish houses. The mezuzah marks Jewish houses, right. and my sort of conceit that I used in this book was that in, in many places in Europe, especially in Eastern Europe, but also I've seen it in Italy, uh, many houses at that time, you could see the scars where mezuzahs used to be, where they had, where they had been removed, either by force or when people you know, moved away or something, but they denoted these scars, these places where mezuzahs used to be. You could wow. still see where they used to be. They denoted places where Jews once lived but didn't live anymore. And just like these, you know, empty places mm-hmm. of mezuzahs on doors, I made the conceit more like these physical remains, the synagogues that still stand, the Jewish cemeteries that still stand, even though they may be abandoned and in terrible condition. They're like symbolic mezuzahs because they indicate pl- towns and cities and villages, right. entire countries where Jews once lived and don't live anymore. And then the memories that people have are also like symbolic mezuzahs because they they also still resonate even though many decades have passed. I learned about mezuzahs actually from just last week. I spoke with a young man in Kiev who's, I call him a born-again Jew. <laughs> he found His mother is Jewish, his father's Ukrainian, and he only really found out seven or so years ago that he was Jewish because his mother was. And, mm-hmm. and so he's like now on a journey of discovery. And he's also, sure. yeah, and he's also cataloging all the shtetls uh, that have disappeared or are about to disappear in, uh, in central and eastern Ukraine where there's not that much restoration work being done. And I don't understand why why they would be removed from doors. Well, because when the Nazis came, they ripped them away. Yeah, okay. Or when people fled, they often took them with them. Uh, or, or when, after the war, people rebuilt the houses and moved in, you know, they, they took them down. There weren't Jews living there anymore, so they took them down. Hmm. You know, those are the three main reasons that, the, that they wouldn't be there anymore. Right, yeah. I've been speaking with Ruth Ellen Gruber, an American journalist, writer, editor, and researcher, now living and working in Europe. She is the author of several books, including Jewish Heritage Travel, A Guide to Eastern Europe, and Upon the Doorposts of Thy House, Jewish Life in East Central Europe. In part two of this interview next week, we discuss her other books, a website she runs that collates information and news about Jewish heritage sites in Europe, as well as her work in Ukraine. I hope you'll join us next week. Thank you for listening today. I'm Pavlina, producer and host of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Until next time, Shalom. Ukrainian Jewish Heritage is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. To find out more about their work, visit their website and follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Transcripts and audio files of this and earlier broadcasts of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage are available at their website, ukrainianjewishencounter.org, as well as at the Nasholos website, www.nasholos.com. Головна мета Ukraine War Amps – це допомога пораненим воїнам та патріотам, які захищають свободу своєї країни у сьогоднішній війні за Україну. Ukraine War Amps представляє програму «Всинови солдата». З вашою підтримкою наша організація зможе передавати принаймні 50 доларів США щомісяця для цільової підтримки якомога більшого числа українських героїв. 100% зібраних коштів буде передано напряму героям, пораненим у війні за Україну. Програма «Всинови солдата» будує унікальний зв'язок між вами і солдатом, якого ви підтримуєте. Все починається з вас. Візьміть під опіку солдата. Підтримайте героя України.
Nariz's uh, contemporary favorite called Chomtenepri Show, Why Didn't You Come, performed by a group called Luhanske Kozake, and that was recorded back when Ukraine was not torn apart, and uh, that area of Ukraine was part of a nation of hope. Again, Luhanske Kozake with Chomtenepri Show. Coming up next, another step back in time. Here is Rushnichok from Montreal with the story of the hetman Yuri Chutunik. week in Vancouver's Ukrainian community. On Wednesdays, catch Nash Hollis Ukrainian Roots Radio, broadcasting live from Nanaimo to North and Central Vancouver Island, the Gulf Islands, the Sunshine Coast, Northwest Washington State, and in the Greater Vancouver Listening Area. Join me, Paulina, for the first hour in English, and Oksana Poparajnik for the second hour in Ukrainian. That's Wednesdays from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific Time on CHLY 101.7 FM on the radio dial and streaming online at chly.ca. And at 6 p.m. Saturday evenings, flip your dial right back here to AM 1320CHMB Vancouver or catch the live stream at am1320.com. And join me, Pavlina, for another hour of fun on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Please send dedications, requests, and suggestions to producer at nasholos.com. Your comments are always welcome. In between broadcasts, follow Nash Holos on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog. And for audio archives, transcripts, podcast feeds, and more, visit our website at www.nashholos.com. Nash Holos now has a Patreon site, and I hope as a listener you'll consider supporting the show with a donation there. Nash Holos is not funded by government and has no corporate financing, so as little as a dollar a month will make a huge difference. Your money will be put to good use to help cover the myriad costs of keeping a show like this online and on the air.
So please check out our Patreon page. There are links everywhere on the Nosh Hollis website, www.noshholis.com, or just go to patreon.com and search for Nosh Hollis. Shcheradyakuyu. was Yogi Kloss from Winnipeg with the Wedding March from Carpathia. You've been listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, broadcasting in Vancouver on AM 1320 CHMB, in Nanaimo on CHLY 101.7 FM, and around the world on PCJ Radio International. Please visit us in between broadcasts at our website, www.nashholos.com. You can get transcripts and audio files of interviews there, as well as features such as Ukrainian Jewish Heritage and Knishka Corner Book Reviews. Information about the show and links to our podcast feed, our new gift boutique, and our Patreon site where you'll find the weekly playlist and proverbs. I do hope you'll engage with me there and support the show by becoming a patron. Again, our URL is www.nashholos.com. I'd love to hear from you, so please send your suggestions, dedications, and requests. Your comments are always welcome. Nezhal mi zhuskin chila nashu prochamu vzhichal se domu vizkazati do babacinia, ale peritem ya hoči zalaša da vas takimi slovami mudroste. Jake zerno zasivajš, takej i plid and our proverb of the week is, whatever seed you plant, such also will be your harvest. Well, our time is about up. So to take us to the end of our program, we have the D Drifters 5 from Winnipeg, I think, again, a long time ago in a traditional Ukrainian folk song, Oh, How I Love Peter. I'm Pavlina on behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and AM 1320. Thanks for listening and Dobranich! <laughs>
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.